Hello and welcome back to Stand By Me. Sorry for the long break, life got in the way. But don't worry, there's a real treat in store for the return. If you don't know, this podcast unites an artist with a super fan of their choice to have an interview together. In this episode, we've got a very special story and I've enlisted a very special lady, my colleague Izzy James, to help tell it as my guest host today. Hello, Izzy. Hello, Katie. You know Wheatus a lot better than me, which is why I roped you in today. So do you want to give us the backstory? Sure thing. So I'm not the stan in today's podcast, but Wheatus are a major part of my fandom history. They were the first band I ever saw live, and the second actually. I was totally obsessed with them when I was about 11 or 12, so much so that I was a paid member of their fan club, and I even went as far as having Wheatus-themed braces on my teeth. <laughs> Wow. Uh, I have never imagined or heard of or (laughs) witnessed or, yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very happy to be the first person who's uh, said that to you, Brendan. So, yeah, like I had train tracks and I was allowed to pick two colours for the elastic bands to be. And I chose yellow and blue to match the Wheatus album artwork. (laughs) So, yeah, if if it wasn't already nerve-wracking enough for me to host a podcast for the first time ever... Please know that I will be blushing the whole way through because I really cannot believe that I'm meeting Brendan. It's literally a dream come true. That's what we do on this show. Well, I'm honoured, first of all. Thank you. And I should ask, how was the rest of your braces experience? Uh, Not good. I gave them up early. (laughs) The train tracks actually were the point where I was like, I'm done with this. Before that, I'd had a head brace. I had a different kind of brace. It was it was not great. But the the fact that I could pick those two colours definitely made it more appealing. So I was like, great. (laughs) So without further ado, let me try to introduce Brendan and Wheatus. Wheatus were formed in 1995 in New York by today's guest, Brendan B. Brown. In the year 2000, they released their debut self-titled album, which reached number seven in the UK charts and later went platinum. You're probably familiar with their debut single, Teenage Dirtbag, which held the number two spot in the UK for two weeks. If you don't know it, literally, where have you been? Teenage Dirtbag made the list of the top 50 most played radio songs of the decade in the UK and Australia and has re-entered the UK charts six times since its release. I'm not the only one who fell for the song's charms as it's been covered by basically everyone, such as One Direction, Weezer, Phoebe Bridges, Rex Orange County, All Time Low, Girls Aloud and many more. In 2020, Wheatus released a re-recorded version of Teenage Dirtbag, which sounds, and trust me on this, identical to the original. And like many bands from the aughts, 20 years on, Wheatus is still making music and tour extensively. Perhaps most impressive of all is the fact that after 20 years, looking at him right now, Brendan appears to not have aged a single day. (laughs) So Brendan, welcome to the podcast. We are so honoured to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm honoured as well. Thank you very much. So, yeah. Hello, Brendan. Usually, the artist chooses which fan we speak to. And you guys gave me a long list of amazing candidates, which we'll go over later. But I've decided to go rogue and surprise you today with who I've chosen to feature. Okay. All right, then. Oh, boy. Today's stand is... Hi, Brones. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> 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 Surprise, I'm your biggest fan. Of course. This is this is Joey. This is the best trolling you've ever done in the history of everything. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. I was so ready to talk to somebody I'd never talked to, but here's Joey. Here's Joey. Yeah, it's just me, don't worry. Or it's me, worry. 
<laughs> this is really good. So good. So, so good. Um, normally at this point, the podcast would like introduce the fan, but I can't really go into too much detail about Joey's life story at this point because we don't want to reveal just kind of how close Joey has managed to get to the band just yet. But I'm going to make the bold claim that she has the most enviable fan story of any guest yet on the podcast. Wow. And I would be shocked if anyone in the future tops this. So basically, Katie, you might as well make this the last episode of the podcast because I just don't think it was going to get better than this. This is literally <laughs> true. Literally true. <laughs> but what I can tell you is that Joey has been a fan from the very early days and that Brendan plucked her from the UK in her part-time job at Woolworths to start her journey with Wheaters overseas. She's really lived every mega fan's dream and if I'm honest, I'm really jealous of her. Welcome, Joey. <laughs> what an introduction. Thank you for mentioning my history at Woolworths. But yeah, no, that's accurate. I'm very excited and nervous to be on a podcast. Join the club. This. Don't worry. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> so take me back to the first moment you fell in love with Wheatus and this whole thing kicked off. Well, I, it was probably Teenage Dirtbag absolutely loved that song it just hooked me and i got invited to see the band i borrowed the cd from a friend i listened to it probably non-stop for the week leading up to the show and then we went to the show and that was it that was it for me what do you remember about that very first wheatus show that you went to it was very overwhelming it was the first real show that i ever went to it was the 5th of May, 2001. Oh, I love that. It was in Bristol. Saturday, 5th of May. Yeah, that will be the... Uh, <laughs> Can you the... actually remember? I love this, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> so that will be quite possibly the very first time we ever played Bristol because <laughs> we had yet to start touring the United Kingdom. Well, this, so... is, this is amazing because, I mean, I think I went to see Wheatus in 2001 as well. I went to Hereford mm -hmm. um, and I think it was maybe December so, Jerry, you got in there before but, me. No, I, I did go to a show on that tour as well. That was later in the year, and it was a much bigger tour. Your show in Hereford, I will remember, because... There was a girl in the front row <laughs> who, had, who had these gleaming yellow and blue mouth with her dad. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, first of all, for showing up with dad. I mean, the main thing that I, like, maybe similarly to, to Jerry, I don't remember much about the actual gig. The main thing that I can remember is buying, I'm sorry to say this, bootleg merch afterwards I did um, too <laughs> yes, which I wish I still had somewhere. My parents might have it somewhere. But I love that you know the exact date, Joey. Like, do you still have the ticket stub or any I other kind of have, mementos? I do have a lot of my early tickets. Um, I also still have a poster that I took down off the venue wall. The hit new album from American Rock Sensation <laughs> or, you know, like all that like cheesy <laughs> stuff that they would put on posters like that. And I took it and I had it up on my bedroom wall for a very long time. Do you still have it? I do. It's not on the wall because it's kind of falling apart now. So I have it rolled up and I have it. I would, Joey, I would really, safely. really not feel okay if you had a picture of me on your wall from, from when... It <laughs> <laughs> that, that, like, that, I mean, you know, of all the things, no, nobody, who wants that? No. Quickly take it down, Joey. I, wa I won't put it up. <laughs> do, do not. Do not. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I mean, it's almost been 20 years exactly since that show. Are you doing anything exciting to mark the anniversary or like it's doing this podcast, the celebration? That's a good question. 
I don't know. It's possible that we'll end up working on that day. So yeah, or we could just have a pizza party. I'll make some kind of celebration cake. Mm. We have actually been together on many of my Wheatus anniversaries because May often falls on a tour. Joey, so, yeah, if I recall, did did we meet that night or not? No, I didn't meet you in person until probably a couple of years later. Right. But how many shows do you you think you went to over those first kind of um, couple of years of fandom? Definitely not as many as some of the other people did in that group of us, the message board group. Some were a little bit older, so they had more freedom to travel around and go to a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. I was, I guess, 13 for the first show and I wasn't really allowed to go to that many. Yeah, I had the same issue. So I'm from mid Wales originally. So a band playing in Hereford. I mean, I don't think I've heard of it before or since, which is just over the border. So it's still quite a journey. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I was ever active on the message board. I think I used to just creep on it quite a lot and just look at what other people were saying. But I was heavily jealous of people who could just follow Wheatus around. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah, I was jealous too, because when a tour would be announced, some people would be like, oh, I'm going to this show and this one and this one and this one and this one. Then I'm going to get a hotel and then hop on the train and go to this one. I was like, oh, I'm going to Birmingham. I was always so I was always so worried about those people. And they were like, they're like kids. They were like 14, 15 years. I was like, are you sure your parents are okay with you getting on a train at midnight? Like, oh, should you be getting on a train at midnight? Can we buy you a hotel room or something instead? Like, God, like, don't do that, you know? That was a service you offered. <laughs> well, not really, but, but it was like, I mean, we had to go. We were like on the bus next spot. We had to leave, you know, we were always out of, out of town real quick. But the fact was that like, there was always, always these kids around a bus who were like, oh, I'm just going to hitchhike to, you know, what I was like, no, don't, please don't, <laughs> don't do that. And it was, they were always like, what's, what's with you? You know, <laughs> this is how Sorry. it's done in the UK. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, or in my case, what I wish I could have done. <laughs> I did that. I, I did that myself with a band called Walt Mink uh-huh. when I was maybe 18, 19, 20. And I would never find out until it was too late that the three hour drive I just made was, for, you know, for nothing. Cause it was 21 and up. Oh, club. No. oh no. So several times I listened by like by the stage door, like through the oh, wall. Oh my kinda. god. Yeah, yeah. Heartbreaking. So. Absolutely yeah, heartbreaking. So I know, I know the feelings. I know the feelings. That was your experience as a mega fan, Brendan. But Joey, was there any standout moments from those early Wheatus shows for you? I actually don't know if there was, you know, just one moment. I just kind of loved the whole thing. I really enjoyed the freedom of it because once we got old enough, a couple of years after the very first show, my best friend Kyra and I wanted to go to so many shows that the parents were just like, we are not driving you everywhere all the time. So just take the train. And then that brought so much freedom. And then we were like, okay, now what show can we go to? We can go to Birmingham. We can go to Bristol. We can go to Cardiff. And it was just, it was just so fun. Joey, what was it you were telling me about that girl, Kirsty, who queued up again and again for tickets? Yeah, it was, um, I don't know if you remember this, Brendan. It was called Breeze, the Breeze Festival. Yeah, Leeds Breeze. Yeah, I remember that. Sure. And the tickets were free, but it was limited, I think, to two per person and you had to get them in person. So Kirsty queued up for every member of the message board who wanted to go to the show and Bless her heart. She must have done it so many times because it was a big group of us. And she would wait in the queue, get to the front of the queue, get two tickets, and then leave and go back to the end of the queue. Put and on a just disguise. kind of kept doing it. Oh my it. God. I did not know 
that she had done that. That's crazy. Yeah. And she's a she's a forever friend, Kirsty. She's been mm-hmm. um, you know Yes, we love so, Kirsty. Yeah. Sort of there there there's this sort of group of people who have become basically like family members who like who come and visit us not some they see the show but it's not that's sort of like a secondary thing like mm-hmm. we're just friends now mm-hmm. i used to do maybe joey you were at one of these at some point i don't remember but i if we were ever in the city early enough i would try and do some sort of a meetup just kind of have a little bit of an outdoors hang i never went to those because i was too scared <laughs> <laughs> scared of what and i would see pictures on the message boards after of the picnic in the park and i'd be like oh <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Kirsty is one of the people who would be at one of those. And, you know, at first it was sort of like a little stanny, but then it became this ritual that I almost kind of needed. Yeah. You can really tell that you've got a real deep connection with your fans. I mean, when I ask for a list, you know, normally I get back one or two suggestions. And you guys, you gave me so many ideas for fans I could talk to. It was like 10 or 15, I think. And you didn't even include Joey. You know? <laughs> Joey didn't even make the cut. No, no, no. <laughs> Ultimately, I had to choose one. And to be honest, Joey was a suggestion from the fans I spoke to. Oh, wow. Um, but do you want to tell us a bit about the others? Because it sounds like you've got a lot of amazing fans if you want to pick out any in particular. And well, talk for about me, I, I remember very clearly uh, early on a, a kid named Mark Redhead who mm-hmm. was very quiet, reminded me of myself, was sort of off in the wings all the time and obviously very afraid to come and say hello, but wasn't, at the same time, wasn't in any way starry-eyed. He was like waiting to say something and it seemed to me at least that what he wanted to say was important in some level. So it turned out when I finally got to speak to him and those people I tend to like say, come on come on over by the room, so stay here for a second. As soon as I'm done, we'll, we'll chat. And he turned out to be a, a budding guitarist and songwriter. We developed a, a tech chat at, at first. We talked about guitar. We talked about how to make the sounds with a guitar, with an acoustic, with, you know, and that was our relationship that sort of connected to this kid who was a lot like I was when I was his age. And he's one of my closest friends now. I send him mixes to say, what do you think of this? How am I doing? How's this guitar sound? You know, we, he's like a, a, a confidant of mine. Uh, he's been on the road with us as a guitar tech. And, but at the, when we met, he was just sort of ex- extremely shy and aloof what was he, about 14 maybe, or a 13-year-old boy? I think he's slightly older than me, so maybe 14 if I was 13. Right, right. You know, we're true adult friends now. There are a lot of stories like that. He's not the only one. There were plenty of others through the years who Lee West is another one. Kirsty, we've already mentioned. Uh, Samantha, you know, oh God, Gemma. there are so many. Gemma, Gemma Lomas, Amy. Mm-hmm. Moffat. And there, there's, there, there are tons and tons and tons. All of that stuff that I was initially afraid of, really, the artifice of being a musician who's on TV was something I was quick to want to dismantle interpersonally with people because I felt like, and I, I was right about this, that there would come a time where the artifice was sort of stripped away from us and we didn't have the popularity or the, or the ubiquity of television and that we would need to offer these people something that went further than that. It became friendship, but at first it was this sort of like need to be known for who we really were, you know, like because the BBC and everything, you were presented in a way. But in the long term of my goal of being a musician for life, I knew that people needed to be there for longer than that would afford. And the getting to know you part was was the beginning of that. And so those people are now our friends and and they're always there, always there, you know, when we come and play. So it worked. And now we have friends. 
I love all this. Like, you really get that sense. And actually, when I was thinking about this, preparing for the podcast, Teenage Dirtbag is about you being a fan. You can really tell that being a fan is something that you seem to really identify with. It does seem to be this kind of fluid thing with Wheatus, where it's kind of, you're a fan, but you're also a friend. And there's not these kind of like walls that are built up. It seems to be way more like a friendship than than any other band I've seen. Yeah, very much so. It's not a lot of people have pointed that out. I don't remember the last time somebody pointed out that Teenage Dirtbag is actually a fan's song. Uh, Iron Maiden, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's weird. That, that, to talk about it all the time, but no one ever <laughs> brings up that angle, this mystical status that Iron Maiden had at the time when I was of the point of view when I was 10 years old in 1984. And it was the world of like, you couldn't go on the internet. You couldn't look anybody up on Google. You couldn't, you had to wait until they were in a magazine or wait up late to watch MTV just in case there was an interview with one of them. Like when we finally got to a point where we were in people's living rooms on their televisions, I was more nervous about it than anything. I was kind of like, oh God, this has to be fleeting. Like there's no way it's not, you know. So yeah, weird, weird ideas about success in music are all tied up in it as well. Be it wanting to be friends with people instead of wanting to be admired. Yeah. I guess taking it back to Joey, Brendan, do you remember the first time that you met Joey? Oh, She's shaking her head. That's really hard. She's, She's no. like, no, he won't. I'm going to go ahead and say no because <gasps> I'm sure, I'm certain that we met several times before we became friends, right? Because you were really shy. Uh -huh. You were like shy, more, more shy than Mark even. I remember communicating with you sort of after things had died down, you kind of came forward uh -huh. in lots and lots of places. Do you remember when we actually met of course she does <laughs> yes i remember the first time i actually spoke to you was after a show in birmingham do you remember what we said where what the context was the only reason i even spoke to you was because jane went to you and basically dragged you to me because i wanted to meet you and was too shy to actually approach you and bless Jane, I love Jane so much. And I think she probably said something like, oh, that's ridiculous. He's not scary at all. And just like <laughs> walked over to you and like just grabbed you by the arm and introduced her. Come on, you. <laughs> yeah. I actually wanted yeah. to speak to Jane for this as well, but apparently she's too shy as well. So Jane is, Jane is fantastic. Jane is our merch fan club cousin. She's in the family now, really. What's her story? Well, boy, she was this art teacher from Birmingham who was interested in the music that we were doing and this strange aesthetic that we were trying to cultivate. And Jane was an adult when she started coming to us. She wasn't a kid. So we, we hit it off just on an artist to artist level. And she uh, comes on the tour bus now and she's a, our merch and she got sucked into the Vortex family. You know, mm -hmm. she's always been very helpful, like yeah. infinite number of instances where she would help. She's kind of, early on, she was like the person we relied on to pick up and drop off these incredibly obnoxious transformers that we use to step the power down from 220 to, to 120. I really thought you them. were going to say fans then. Like <laughs> obnoxious fans. I thought you were going to say like no. there were all no. of these obnoxious fans waiting outside and she'd pick them up and be like, no, they're not going to talk to you today. I, never, I, never, I, know, I know that that's a thing, but I have never myself experienced feeling like a fan was obnoxious. There's some bands that ban some of their fans from getting a ticket to their show. They contact ticketing agents and like, if that fan is on the list, they're not coming. I was, I was about to say, Brendan, we hadn't met until today, so maybe this will be the, <laughs> this will be the moment. <laughs> Joey, considering you 
were relatively shy. I'm guessing you did find most of your kind of Wheaters friends online. Yes. Is that right? Yes, I was the teenager who was racking up the internet bills in the early 2000s because I wanted to spend every waking minute on the Wheatus message boards. This is back when internet was a penny a minute. And oh, really? I would wait until my dad went to bed and then like sneak down and access the dial-up as though he wasn't going to notice when he got the phone bill. <laughs> and especially every Saturday, there was a chat room called Wheatus Online. Even though we didn't know each other that well, it was a very close group. Brendan and the other band members would come into the chat room almost every Saturday, I feel like, someone. I think sometimes, Brendan, I think, didn't your dad used to come in the chat room? Yeah, he came in every once in a while. He was I around. I love that. It was all sort of like, everything was new, though. It was like chat rooms were new. The mm -hmm. internet was new. The band was new. It was an interesting time. Yeah. The original one was hosted through Sony, and it was quite hard to get to. You had to go through like the Sony music board and then you had to select which message board you wanted to go to. In a way, looking back, that was actually something quite sweet about that because it was a huge directory of fan groups and every mm. message board was dedicated to a different band who was on that label. But the longer it takes to get to the message board, the more money you're spending on your parents' internet, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. That's it. It adds up. Penny a minute, I tell you. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, message boards in the early 2000s, they were kind of one of the only ways that fans could connect with artists that they love online. Because, obviously, there was no, like, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or anything back then. Although, there was MySpace. Yeah, we were MySpacers for a while. I remember Gerard Way reached out to me on MySpace. What? <laughs> said he liked their, our third record. Amazing. Oh, Wait, why are it. we not friends with them Gerard now? Way. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, MySpace died. Yeah, but you and I became friends through MySpace, <laughs> and now I'm in your band. So what happened with Gerard Way? Jo Joey just dropped the, the cat out of the bag. We're ready. And, We're ready to go. We're ready for it. So How did that happen? Um, Honestly, I don't remember that much. Yeah, I don't remember how that we, happened. I think now. we were just chatting, and yeah. maybe you just mentioned casually that you needed help on a tour or something. I, I gave Joey a very difficult job, which was merch <gasps> at the time. I don't think that's a difficult job. I, that was like my ideal job as a teenager. Like that's all I wanted to do is for somebody to let me sell their merch. It's the worst job on a tour. It's tough, yeah. <laughs> you work the longest hours and you get the most abuse. Blind. Yes. Oh, man. Well, you're the first one to catch a cold, oh, you know, because yeah, you're seeing all the people all the time and you're the first one into the venue. You're the last one out. It's hard. It's a hard job. I should say that this was a time where I was incredibly paranoid and our financial existence was incredibly fragile and we were invited to do this tour and I was realizing more and more that like people who had toured with us were maybe not the right people to bring on everything. Anyway, the short story is, is looking for people I trusted was difficult and wound up turning to the fan group, but had become friends group. Joey was definitely still with us at that time, still available as a friend during a time when things were kind of getting a little bleak. Mm. Joey, when you started doing merch, was there any kind of negative reaction from other fans? Like, I can imagine people may have been jealous of perceived, like, preferential treatment. Did you ever feel that? 
Um, that's an interesting question. I did not experience that myself. That group of people is always supportive of one another. And it was just like, oh, okay, cool. That's exciting. I'll see you at this show and this show and this show. And it was just another person to hang out with at the merch table. It actually, I remember it kind of solidifying that core group of friends a little bit more. I think actually a lot of that core group were already closer to the band than I was. Ah. They were more outgoing and more talkative and they were just more likely to have interactions with Brendan. I think maybe me doing that position, becoming a merch person for the band, actually kind of made me more of a part of their group. Oh, okay. That seems interesting. It also got things really efficient in terms of meet and greets because Joey knew at a glance who was who and who were the sort of like real fans and who were maybe not. She was like, give them uh, five minutes, give them one minute. Yeah, yeah. It got really really efficient that way. We were able to. Nice little spreadsheet. You got to do it. You got to do a spreadsheet. You got to do a spreadsheet. So did you remain in the fan community and on the message board after starting working with the band? Or were you already kind of getting enough of your Wheatus Phil IRL? Yeah. Yeah, like, do you still consider yourself a fan of Wheatus? Yes. Yes, I do. My perspective on it has definitely changed. I think there is something that you kind of lose when you get really close. Mm. So in a way, I miss those early days where Brendan could put out a song and I get to hear it for the first time and be excited by it. I definitely don't have that anymore, which is a little bit sad sometimes. But, you know, I still have plenty of other bands that I love and I can be excited when they release new music. Brendan, you just got to not talk to Joey for like five weeks before (laughs) a song. (laughs) Well, to to elaborate on what Joey's talking about, to explain this fully, we should explain that Joey, since being our merch person in 2007, has become a singer in the band. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joey is one of our backing vocalists and a bazillion other things that the job description in Weedus is whatever needs doing. And so your first time you jumped on stage to perform with us was in Keith Lee, was it not? That's right. I can't believe you remember the name Keith Lee. That one I remember. Because that night I said, Joey has to be in this band. Mm. That's too much to not remember. That's like... That was 2008, I think. Or 2009 or 2008. For some reason, it was We Just Acoustic, Brendan and the two backing vocalists, and then me on merch. And for a family emergency, one of the backing vocalists had to fly back to New York for a couple of days. And Brendan invited me to sing backing vocals for the one show. We didn't have any rehearsal. It was just like, why don't you come and sing backing vocals tonight? So I did. If you guys have seen Wheatus in recent years, there's not really a set list. You can just call out a song and it gets played. Or Brendan in the moment on stage will call a song and he just goes by what he wants to play. My first show, no rehearsal, no preparation. You were calling the most obscure songs. I was like, (laughs) why are you doing this to me? But we did it. We that's did it that's why he gets fans in the bands, because he's like, if someone's yeah, going to know was, all the yeah. songs, it's going to be a that, fan. Yeah, Joey, I was seeing what happens. It's like you, you were know? testing me in front of what I can only guess is the entire population of the town of Keithley. <laughs> 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 but Joey, like, I'm guessing you've pretty much been to every Rita show since joining the tours in 2007, right? I actually was keeping count for a while Whoa. at the beginning when I started, and I was like, oh, this is my... 150th show that I've seen and after a while that becomes exhausting to try and keep track of that so I actually don't know how many I've seen or taken part with 
Joey and I have done the worst, sweetest touring together. Um, But um, people in bands are human beings. And if you're going to stay in a band and keep it together and keep doing it, you are going to face an enormous amount of frustration and difficulty and failure, disillusion, and so on. And Joey has seen me at my worst in some of those moments where, you know, it's no longer about presenting yourself on stage. It's more about like being able to do it again or having to decide it's over. Those existential moments are like really grim. And she's been there for a few, quite a few. And I'll admit that there have been moments where I just have no idea what to do. Like don't know what to do to how to solve this problem, uh, how to how to get through this and so on. But to have the constant reminder of Joey's presence in that period of that pure ethos and to try and relive up to that all the time has been an upside for the band that we just couldn't have had any other way. Hmm. Like there's no other way to that, you know. As we've now established, the crazy thing about this story is that you touring with your favourite band selling their merch, aka My Dream, isn't the peak. Wheatus became even more a part of your life by joining the touring band. Well, firstly, you moved from the UK to New York for this. Well, I moved before I sang in the band. My now husband is from here. Um, He plays bass in Wheatus, coincidentally. (laughs) Coincidentally? Um, Just to to clear anything up... (laughs) I'm not married to the bass player I saw playing for Wheatus when I was 13. It's a different bass player. Very important so, distinction, I, yes. But he Very is important. in Wheatus. I don't want anyone to think that I saw a band at 14 and then married one of those people. Mm. No. But Matthew joined the band in 2006, I think, yeah. Brendan. 2006, and then- Matthew joined up. And the tour that we did together, Joey, the first one that you sang in Keithley, it should be noted, Matthew was not on that tour. Matthew had to stay home. Oh. And then a few tours later, I guess you and Matthew got to know each other. But the point was that the Joey being in the band thing was quite apart and separate from you getting to know Matthew in this like really peculiar way because you started being in the band before that. So like there was this musical relationship developing between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And there was this touring relationship developing that was really sort of serious and like kind of rubber meets the road kind of thing. Then it was like the stars aligned to a point where it was like, Joey's going to be perfect for singing on this song. And then that was it. That was like you were the touring singer and then you were singing on the record. And that was all sort of wrapped up with a bow on it by 2014 or 15. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, about then. And it's funny because then Matthew joined and obviously you two got together. But the funny thing I just want to say about that is I'm just imagining you on the road together and then you go home and you talk about Wheatus. I'm just imagining the topic yeah, of conversation is like always Wheatus, you know? It's true. When I'm not singing in Wheatus, I'm walking the dogs that belong to the lead singer. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's just because they like you more. For, since 2007, my whole life and existence and most of my friendships was all centered around this one band and this one group of people. Mm. Yeah, it's really strange. I don't like to think about it too much because it's too, it's too weird. It's spooky. But why are you doing this podcast then? <laughs> well, do I have to remind you? I did not put my name forward for this. <laughs> I put together the you. list of names of people did for you, you guys to reach out to. That's why you weren't on the list. So that's why I wasn't on the list. Uh, uh, did you ever think maybe I should do it? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, it's an honor to have you after all of that. Yes, Thank you. Totally. I'm, I'm glad I'm doing it. We mentioned before, I am typically 
on the shyer side and I don't like to do too much talking. So this is a little out of my comfort zone. Do you still ever think back and then you're kind of talking to Brendan and you think, oh my God, Brendan Brown is talking to me. (laughs) I don't think, Joey, I don't think you were, I think you were, despite being shy and I know what that's like, I don't think you were ever sort of like starry eyed about it. I think you were like a lot of the other people who we wind up getting to know quite practical about what making music is about, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that's probably why you and I do work so well together. Yeah, maybe you should send them the video of us arranging Through. Joey wrote a song called Through, mm-hmm. one of our most recent single releases. Basically, it was Joey taking over what is traditionally my role in the band and conducting the entire affair. Like, we're going to do this guitar part. We're going to build it like this. I want the drums like this. I want it to be this tempo. I want it to be these arrangements. And together, we sort of like whittled it down into what her goal was, which was you wanted to make a weedist song. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you knew it to be mm. when you started paying attention to us. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to be an interesting experiment because I'm going to take your mm, lead yeah. on that. So the next step is she becomes you. Like, keep getting a new peak. That's the next thing. You're out the And band. I can stay home with the dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Yeah. One of the things I just find so kind of magical about this as well is that, like, Brendan, like, you making music, writing a song, don't know that what you're going to be doing is making some woman in the UK, like, just completely changing her life to the point that, like, it helps her meet her husband, it helps her to move to the other side of the world, it helps her actually then end up join the band that allowed all those things to happen naturally. It's just, like... I don't know. When you when you start a band, do you ever ever realize that you're going to change people's lives so no way. much? No, <laughs> so none much. of that. None of that. None of that extended domino calculus is ever something anyone could think about. Um, Joey, I just think your life is like a one big pinch me moment. Really, I definitely had moments where, as a teenager, I was like, I want to be a musician when I grow up. I want to live somewhere really cool and exciting, and I want to make music and just be creative and do whatever I want. And at least in that time, in the mid 2000s, as a teenager in Gloucester, that was not a lifestyle that was ever presented to me as practical or doable or reasonable in any way. You know, we had the same experience that way, Joey, you and I I had no vision of becoming a professional musician when I was a kid. I had yeah, no it was concept. purely imaginary and all the grown-ups were just like, no, you have to go to university, you have to get a degree and then you have a career and then you have a reasonable life and a regular experience. And this <laughs> A reasonable <whole>. life. <laughs> and I wanted a life that to everyone else seemed unreasonable, but to me seemed... Obtainable. Yeah. Very appropriate. I was like, yeah, that no, this seems this seems normal to me. And I made plenty of decisions that at the time seemed like maybe they were the wrong decisions, but every decision I made led me to where I am right now. I mean, I don't even know what my life would be like now had it not been for that first show, because I got home from that show in 2001 in May and went on the Wheatus message board. And that's where I met people I would end up being friends with. And then I kept going to shows. I met Brendan, who ended up being my boss. I met 
Matthew, who ended up being my husband. I met Liz, who is Brendan's sister, who is in the band. She is now my landlord. She lives upstairs. <laughs> wow. Um, it, it never ends. Another level it's, that we didn't even know about. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. We sh- we share a house. It's oh, that's so strange. And these people are just my closest friends. Amazing. Well, that's the, this, weird. It's, this story is just incredible. And I'm so glad <laughs> you've come on the show to tell it. Um, that feels like a good place to wrap up, is it? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think so too. Just wanted to say thank you both so much for being here today. So Joey, I will forever be jealous of you. Brendan, <laughs> even though you say don't put you on a pedestal, you'll always be on a pedestal for me, I think. So, um, oh, well, yeah. it can be a tiny little one. Okay, sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you but, for um, having us. Yeah, thank you. And actually, lastly, Joey, if you could say one thing to your teenage dirtbag self right now, what would you say? Uh... Run. <laughs> <laughs> 